we have an extra special AFC Dons cast this week as we honour the greatest Dons manager of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson. We hear from him and some of his former players, Willie Miller and Willie Garner, at the unveiling of a statue of the great man himself at Pataudry on Friday. Rob Wicks and Dave Cormack provide a bit of background to how the statue all came together. Plus, we have Jim Goodwin's first extended interview as our new Dons manager, and we catch up with Ross McCrory after he signed a new deal with the Dons last week. And we had the small matter of a league match against Dundee United on Saturday, where post-match with Jim Goodwin and man of the match Vicente Beswin as well. Sit in and get yourself ready for this packed AFC Dons cast on Tuesday, the 1st of March. the great man Sir Alex Ferguson just briefly pondered the history that he made him the greatest manager of all time in the Pataudry Tunnel ahead of him coming out to rapturous applause of the Red Army on a beautiful sunny Friday ahead of him unveiling the statue in his honour we had a story or two to tell about how he worked with Andy Edwards who sculpted the statue Thank you very much it's fantastic honour and and uh, you have to reflect my life that way because um, what I achieved here at Aberdeen was was almost a miracle. I think the final people regard it as a miracle. But you know something? We battered them. We absolutely battered them. I just want to add to Andy Edwards' comments about the detail, which is a really important part of your life. I went down there and met his, all his staff, and they wanted to measure my ear to my chin. That's the detail we put into it. And I thought, yeah, it could work. It was a fantastic piece. Once you see it, you'll, you'll really be very, very impressed. I was impressed myself. He did Stanway Matthews and the BJs, the Beatles, Bob Geldof. It was Bob, no, sorry. Bob Marley, Bob Marley sorry, very funny. But what happened here was a foundation to begin with. When I came here, the place was the right place. Great chairman, great vice chairman, great director in general. The three of them run that football club without question. 
They supported me 100%. There's no manager can have better start to a career than that. Then you see that little place there? That we hut. That's where all the old pensioners sat. And they cleaned this stadium. They cleaned that every day. So Archie Knox and I used to walk by there. We say, get off your asses and do some work. <laughs> and they would answer back, well, if you start winning games, we'll get off our arse. They were fantastic. But that's some sort of a foundation. Your Barbara Cook, Ian Taggart, the two ladies in the, the, who did the dining ladies, Belle and Peggy. You know, Teddy Scott. What a man, Teddy Scott. Archie, Teddy, myself, Roland Arnott won the European Cup, Winners' Cup. Four staff. Nowadays they're talking about 40 staff. Anyway, it's a different world. But it was, I mean, the, the, my players here spoke absolutely fantastic for me, really did. It was, a, it was a tribute for me to work with these players. See, the thing about the foundation, we're talking about foundations, you see. When, when you, you try to put a, a light switch together, you, if you don't get the wires in the right place, it's not going to work. I had the right material. They were all there. All they needed was the direction and desire. And they showed that eventually. It was an absolutely brilliant period for me. My first year, it was, it was hard for me. My father had cancer. I decided to do a stupid thing, go to a tribunal with St. Mirren. And these were learning lessons and once I got that year over, I knew where I was going because I had the material. And that's the thing about human beings. Some people want to go to the moon in their holidays. Some they want to go to the local park. These boys want to go to the moon. They had the desire to be better and better. And that gave me the incentive to work with them. And to understand that, look, there are other clubs want to win trophies. You want, to win it, you want to win it more than them. The desire to win more than others is the thing that will get you there. And that was a fantastic period for me. And I was so proud that eight and a half years here, and there was only one way I could have left Aberdeen, and that was for Man Manchester United. And Dick Donald actually told me to leave. The week that we, I was, uh, we took the Scottish team to Mexico. And before I went, I said to Dick, I think, you know, maybe... I've had my time here. He says, there's only one club you should leave here for, and that's Manchester United. Now, I'm not, I don't know if he knew anything at that time, but it was the best advice I ever got because I had a fantastic time there too. But it starts here, and I'm so proud that this is starting. You, you will be impressed with it, I'm sure you will. Uh, and thank you for turning out today. It's been wonderful. Thanks very much. And I'd now like to wonderful, wonderful. Wonderful to hear from Sir Alec. And let's now ask him, Sir Alec, please 
to formally unveil the Sir Alex statue. What do you think? A closer look is required here. And some more photographs, mementos of what is a special day. And our greatest ever captain speaks about our greatest ever manager. Here is Willie Miller speaking about his standout memories of Sir Alex. So just finally, well, summing up, I mean, if you could sort of describe Alex Ferguson in a few sort of sentences, which is not easy, but I mean, even just you know, what stands out even after all these years of memories? I, I think the, the fearless determination to be successful. Um, you, you got to remember that uh, <clears throat> you know, both both here and you know, I really can't comment at Manchester United, but what he achieved at Manchester United was just phenomenal as well. But what he achieved here is, was um, sensational. Um, and you've got to be special to be able to do that. You've got to have the drive, the determination, the courage, um, the will, the belief. And then you've got to put all that together and you've got to bring a, a, you know, a team within the dressing room that sometimes you're going to have to you know, be really strong with and, 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 and blast them from time to time, <laughs> quite a lot of times actually. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you, you knew what the goal was and you believed in that goal. And that was really important. The goal was to uh, be better than Rangers, be better than Celtic. That was the first goal, of course. Um, but then that goal went on to, to be better than Bayern Munich and to be better than Real Madrid. That's not too bad, is it? If you can overcome Rangers and Celtic and then you can take on Bayern Munich and Real Madrid to, and, and Hamburg as well, you've got to forget who are the, the don't forget the, the, the European champions at that time and they had the European Cup and the trophy cabinet we still managed to beat them so it started, you, you know, from that kind of a fractious uh, uh, beginnings until he got the, the team in place that, that he wanted and then everybody in the same mindset and then taking on the whole firm domestically, and then taking that into Europe. So that's that, that's what I remember of him. Um, I think we've covered quite a lot in terms of the memories that I have um, of what he brought to the club um, and how the club was at that time. Uh, a sensational uh, time in the history of Aberdeen Football Club, and it was a pleasure to be part of it. And Willie Garner also shares his memories of working with Sir Alex. 
I know he spent a lot of time during the week going to games. I mean, nowadays managers can sit and watch Y Scout every game in Europe. They can just bang, it's on video. But in those days, there was none of that. There was none of the video analysis. Yet. The only way was to go and watch games. I mean, he used to spend hours didn't he, going all over the country. Yeah. I mean, and did you did you have to go with him, or yeah. did you go watch games? Yeah. yeah. Or go myself. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a game on in the UK that we thought was worthwhile, where there may have been a scout had phoned and said there was a player, mm-hmm. um, then we would go and watch it. And I used to live in Bridget on at the time, and and the boss had a big, huge, silver Mercedes. And, you know, if we finished training and we were going somewhere at night, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night we were away, you know, sometimes a Thursday night as well. And we planned where we were going, we planned how long it was going to take to get there. He'd pick me up, and by the time we got to Bridge of Dawn, he was sleeping. And he would sleep till Stonehaven. And obviously it was like a, like a clock, of just get his pulse back going again. He'd be, up he comes, and... And we would then speak for, depending on the length of the journey, that length of time, we would just talk about football. And I suppose, again, back to that bottling, that silver, that dust stuff, you know, uh, the, if you could bottle what we used to talk about, it would be incredible. You know, because the, the value of me listening to him or me being able to challenge him in a one-to-one situation sitting in a car uh, it was just it was brilliant, you know. It was just a, it was character building for me, and I suppose I always felt that I wasn't going to be in, go in with him and just be this sort of yes man. If he wants my opinion, he's going to get it, and I gave him it. And sometimes he didn't like it. Sometimes we would. I, I always remember we played at Tannadice one day, and he, he says to me, um, "Stark or Angus?" And I said, "Stark. Why Stark?" I says, "Because Stark is good in the air. There's a chance of getting a goal." You don't like Angus? I said, no, that's not the case. I think for a game like this, where they've got Hegarty and Neri and Goff and these boys coming into the box and attacking things, I think Stark is a better choice. So, of course, Stark is picking up Goff and Goff scores a winner. So we go back in the bus and I'm sitting, he's sitting in the front seat with Dick Donald and I'm sitting behind him. And he turned around and says, I'll never listen to you again. And then just turned and faced the front again. I went, okay. And I tapped him, I says, you asked my opinion. Yeah, but didn't they value it? I says, but you asked my opinion. It's you up to you then to make that decision. Rah! Never spoke to me to the following morning. And then the following morning, we're having a cup of tea, and it was as if it hadn't happened. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the great thing about it. It was like, done, said what I've said, move on. You know, that's, that's the way I looked upon him like that. There's a lot of people who thought they, they, they kept grudges, but I never ever seen that. With me, it was just sort of, Something to say to each other, just say it and move on. Pulling off creating something special for a great man involves a bit of preparation and commercial director Rob Wicks and chairman Dave Cormack discuss how the statue came together. So Sir Alex, I mean, he was involved right at the start and, and had a, you know, the, throughout the process was involved. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dave, Dave Cormack as, as chairman had approached Sir Alex to say, look, you know, this is a, 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 um, we feel this is the right thing to be doing. It's, it's long overdue that, that we recognise uh, the contribution that Sir Alex made to the club. And, you know, fortunately, yes, Sir Alex was on board. Um, and uh, I think it was really important that we involved him from, from early on. So Andy set about him. He created a, I think it was a 22-inch high maquette out of modelling clay as a starting point. And once that had been developed to a point that we were all, you know, pretty happy with, uh, Andy and I went to go and meet Sir Alex uh, down near Manchester um, back in, I think, September of last year. And 
showed him what we what we presented, and he was delighted with that. And it was really interesting on the day because Andy had really been working from just this one picture exclusively, and um, then Jason Ferguson, Alex's son, was there. And he happened to go upstairs and found three or four more large A3 black and white prints from the same day, but all from different angles. And these were an absolute godsend for, for Andy, the sculptor, because you know, he, he could then see Sir Alex's face and um, the actual pose from, from, from these different angles. And that made a real difference. So he took those away with him and he's used those throughout the process. Tell us a bit about the relationship between Andy and Sir Alex. I mean, obviously, it's quite important that they, they get on, and I think they did, didn't they? Absolutely. You, know, you, you, could, you could listen to Sir Alex and, and his stories all day, and we did a lot of the talking. We got a lot in common from a, from a South African perspective. Um, uh, so that was, that was interesting to hear when he met Mandela and some of the funny stories that, that happened out in South Africa on one of Manchester United's tours. But all the way through our conversation, Andy was just listening intently. And whilst the sculpture is obviously of Sir Alex back in 1980, he was looking at him in, in the current day and translating what he was seeing and hearing into very fine adjustments in the clay model um, that he then took away and have been translated into the, into the one and a quarter life-size statue that we'll see uh, this week. What, in your opinion, I mean, you obviously got to know Sir Alex a little bit, but what, in your opinion, has it made, makes him, made him such a special manager and such a special person as well? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, for me... Um, He's always had a clear vision and a strategy of how he wanted his teams to play and how he wanted his players to behave, you know, on and off the field. And um, so that clear vision, clear strategy, and just that determination to stick with it. I mean, life, I mean, after Sir Alex left Aberdeen, it was a pretty tough period at Manchester United for a few years, you know. But you know what? He stuck to his vision, stuck to his strategy, and um, determination, it paid off. The other thing aligned with that is his man management and leadership skills. Outstanding. I've said this a few times, and I said it to Sir Alex. Some, you know, I've been fortunate to spend time with him at dinners and that. And, you know, myself, kind of going through my early business career, um, any time I kind of doubted if things weren't going so well in business... I get up at the night, I can remember it, in London and out in the States. I pick up the book, A Light in the North, and I would read some elements, segments from there that kind of reminded me about you know, what I needed to think about, stay true to yourself. You know, So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. Clear vision, strategy, steely determination to succeed, aligned with mind management and leadership skills. Perfect recipe. It's a great idea, but then someone has to deliver it, <laughs> and that was you, which I, I can imagine was a fairly daunting task. Have you ever done anything like this before? Or not? No, I've certainly never had to project manage building a building a statue. But um, I reached out to some friends in in the industry um, uh, who've been in sport and and who've seen statues come and go. And um, before I knew it, the the name of, of Andy Edwards, our sculptor, um, uh, had had been suggested to me and got on very well with Andy. He's a keen football fan himself and he's done some really fantastic work. Um, he's done statues of the Beatles in Liverpool. He's done uh, the Bee Gees in the Isle of Man, um, Bob Marley, various footballers. So he's, he comes with a really good pedigree. And uh, as I say, we, we, we got to know each other quite quite well and uh, realised that we could work together and um, you know a lot of confidence there and, and set about with the project. So you've got a sculptor, then you have to have a design. <laughs> so how did you go about that? I mean, how did, obviously the game in 1980, Easter Road, why was that chosen? 
you know that that pose of Sir Alex is is really iconic. It, it, it's a, I think a pose that we've we've seen him take on through his career, and we you know we've seen it at Old Trafford and and, and elsewhere. So. Um, it just struck us as something really special. Obviously, that league title was 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 really important. Pity it wasn't at Petodrian. It happened to be at Easter Road. But we suggested that to Sir Alex when when we met him the first time, and he seemed really happy with it. It's, it's really a pose that is somewhat synonymous with him as an as an individual, and I think it really makes for a a, a fantastic sculpture in its own right. Um, you know, we've got a a sculpture that's going to be one and a quarter life size. And it needed to be a, a special pose. And I think in that particular photo, um, we found exactly what we were looking for. A fantastic tribute to Sir Alex over the past few days. And if you haven't yet had the chance to see the statue, it's something special. The attention to detail is something else. It's now sitting pride of place outside the Richard Donald stand and just looks spectacular. So from a hero that created history to another that wants to create history and came from the same club, which hopefully bodes well. Ahead of the match against Dundee United, our new manager Jim Goodwin talked to Mal for his first in-depth interview at Pataudry. Jim, first of all, can I start by formally welcoming you to Aberdeen Football Club as our, our new manager? Very, very warm welcome from everybody. How's your first couple of days been? Chance to meet the players and also look around Cormac Park? Well, listen, it's been brilliant, um, you know, to finally get in at Cormac Park. I'd never seen the facility before. I had um, watched some bits online and obviously seen pictures within the media, but I haven't actually had the, the pleasure of walking around it. And, um, yeah, I was blown away by what I saw. It was actually better than what I anticipated. Um, obviously, the club have made a huge investment in the development and um, hopefully we'll, we'll see huge success coming off the back of it. As you imagine, the, the first couple of days uh, have been quite hectic trying to get to, to, to know everybody and um, as many meetings as possible with all the backroom staff and all the, the admin staff up at, um, up at Cormac Park. But also here at the stadium, you know, I was keen to come down here today to not only speak to yourself, but also just to get a an opportunity to introduce myself to the, the, the wider staff here because it's a, it's a huge club, there's no doubt about that. You really do get um, a feeling for the, the size of the club when, when you're here, when you see the actual resources that are available. So it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm delighted to be here and um, yeah, looking forward to the weeks and months and years ahead. Well, delighted to have you here. Just on the, the playing squad, I mean, playing in Scotland, playing teams three, four times a year, sometimes five times a season, you must have a fairly good grasp of the, of the squad and the, the players that you've got there. Yeah, I do. I mean, obviously, uh, we've played against each other a number of times this season already when I was manager at St Mirren. Um, I know you know, two or three of the, the current squad personally as well. Um, so that always makes life, life a bit easier. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I did say to the the squad uh, in one of our first meetings there's you know there's no transfer window around the corner there's nothing going to be happening between now and the summer it's very much the group of staff and the group of players that we have here available at our disposal right now that uh, we're going to go and try and finish the season strongly with and um, there's obviously as always when a new manager comes in you know it can be very often a clean slate for some of the players that were here you know some managers would have came in with the previous regime and would be disappointed to see him go. Other players maybe didn't um, get as much of an opportunity maybe as what they would have liked. So, you know, we've told the players it's a, a clean slate for everybody. 
we will um, we will pick teams based on training, based on effort and commitment, and um, and yeah, that's the way we go about things. What's the sort of aims between now and the end of the season, Jim? Because I mean, the, the league table is so tight, isn't it? I mean, I can't remember a table as, as tight as it is. I mean, I, I suppose the first aim is really just to try and get into the top six, is it? And then see where we go from there. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, there's not a great deal between ourselves and you know fourth position. Um, you know, we need to. We need to get winning games, it's as simple as that. We need to get points on the board. But you know, I said that after the game on Saturday. Uh, you know, I haven't inherited a terrible squad of players. I haven't inherited a team that is um, you know, languishing at the bottom of the table. You know, we're actually in an okay position from a, a new manager's point of view. We're still within touching distance of where we want to be in terms of those European places. And that's the drive and that's the ambition for the players and the and the backroom team between now and the end of the season. Without giving too much away, what's, what are you doing at training? What's the, the, the main aims? I mean, cause Jim, I mean, you're, you're submitting teams are always very well organised, very well to old sides. I mean, is that something that can be done quickly, or is, it, is that sort of get your message across takes longer? No, look, I mean, ideally, you know, that's what pre-season is all about. You know, you get six weeks with the players where there's no pressure on results. You're playing pre-season friendlies and you're learning from mistakes, um, you know, right now to to get my ideas across, it takes hard work on the training pitch. It's as simple as that. And doing a bit of analysis with the players, looking back on things that maybe didn't go so well, um, you know, prior to me coming in, and how can we make those necessary improvements going forward? But it's all about it's all about training. It's all about on the grass. That's where I enjoy my job the most, and and, and that's where I, I feel as if I'm at my best. And first and foremost, the team needs to be organised. You know, we need to know exactly. We need the players to know exactly what their roles and responsibilities are in the team, both in and out of possession. Um, there won't be a player that will go on the pitch um, not knowing what's expected of them. You know, I spoke again you know, in the build-up to the game on Saturday. I want to see players who want to be here, you know, who are willing to give the minimum requirement of 100% effort. You know, I think... To be fit nowadays and be able to run is just, you know, it should be just a, a given because the professional athletes at the end of the day, the tactical side of the game, yes, does take time to work on, but um, we'll get there. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, we will be in a really good position come to the end of the week um, and ready, I think, to go and, um, you know, face Dundee United. How much are you looking forward to that game? Really looking forward. Full crowd as well, Jim. It's going to be great. Isn't it? it will be. It'll be amazing. Um, you know, obviously, there's a hell of a lot going on prior to the game with the build-up to, uh, you know, one of the greatest managers of all time and possibly the greatest British manager of all time. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting him once um, about eighteen months ago when he was uh, opening the new training facility at Harmony Row in Glasgow. And um, you know, I'm hoping that on Friday, with, with the the occasion that's happening here, I'll be able to get up after training and maybe pick his brain for a couple of minutes, albeit I'm pretty sure he'll be very, very busy with everything else that's going on. But in terms of Saturday match day, you know, the most enjoyable day of the week, um, you know, to be here with a full house, it's really important that myself and the players give the fans something to cheer about. And, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully that will be the case. Jimmy, we talked about players who want to be here. Ross McCrory's just signed the new deal, which is going to get news for everybody, isn't it? I mean, I think Ross is, like you as a player, is a, he's a winner, isn't he? Listen, if you, uh, you know, if you could have another six or seven Ross McCrory's in your team, you know, you'd be a very, very good team. He's everything that I want in an Aberdeen player. Um, you know, his attitude, the personality, 
the respect for people he has around the training pitch. But just for me, the way he goes about his business, having only watched him in two training sessions, but obviously played against him enough to know exactly what type of player and, uh, and type of character he is. He's, uh, he's been a breath of fresh air since, since I came in. Um, yeah, and he's, uh, his future captain material is what I, would, what I would say. He leads by example. He's a great professional. Um, he'd run through a brick wall for you. And I think supporters love to see that in players. You know, we all want technically great players and exciting players that are going to get us out of our seats and win games and be creative. But um, we love a, a player that, you know, has got passion and has got commitment and um, shows that he cares about the end result. And, you know, I'm just delighted. Uh, I can't take a great deal of credit for... Ross um, signing the extension because I wasn't involved in the negotiations at all. Stephen Gunn um, deserves all the credit for that. But, you know, the fact that Ross is signing on again for another couple of seasons will tell you what he thinks of the club. He obviously loves Aberdeen. He respects what we're trying to do. Um, I've had a good conversation with him about the ambitions for the club. And I think our ambitions as a football club match the ambitions of his own. And um, we're very, very lucky to have him. Well, Jim, you were very much that type of player as well. It's quite interesting, though. I mean, once you stopped playing, were you always destined to become a manager? Or was it always something you wanted to do? It was, yeah. I mean, it was something that I was... Um, I started taking my coaching badges when I was 20 years old, when I was down at Stockport County. Um, and, yeah, I just never stopped, really, from there on in. I'd done the B licence, the A licence, the Pro licence, through the SFA. Um, always wanting to try and find new ways of doing things, um, you know, and obviously did plenty of reading and um, try and get out to do some club visits as well in the off-season just to see how other managers do things. But, um, you know, all in all, for me, you know, I think young managers and young coaches can sometimes overcomplicate football. You know, it hasn't changed a great deal in the last 50 years. It's 11 v 11, um, you know, the team that is generally the fitter uh, and the more organised will do well and then if you can add quality players in amongst it then you'll win more games than you'll lose and it's very simple and that's what I try and try and give to the players I don't overcomplicate things you know it's, we try and simplify every training session we try and keep the messages that we're giving them to a minimum not want to give them information overload not wanting to bore them to tears I don't ever want the players to go out onto the pitch and be robotic they have to be allowed to have that freedom uh, to make good decisions at key moments in the games but we will we will make sure that they're well aware of what's being asked of them. Who's have been the, the biggest influence on you? Is it your managerial style? And is it just managers you've worked under? Do you, do you learn something from everybody, all the managers you've worked under? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been involved in professional football uh, for 25 years. You know, um, uh, I moved away from Ireland when I was 15, uh, over to Celtic at five years there. But I could think of all, you know, I could name pretty much every single coach that I've had from that moment in 1996 right up until my last uh, you know, coach at Alloa who was Jack Ross and when I decided to hang up my boots at 34 year old I think you have to try and take the good and bad from every situation um, sometimes you learn more from, from the ones that weren't very good um, in terms of man management and bits and pieces but you know, I think it's important that you don't try and copy anybody you know I think it's good to take bits and pieces from different individuals but it's very very important to me that I'm my own man and that I make my own decisions and that I can look in the mirror at the end of the day and live and die by them knowing that that was the way that I wanted to go and whether I get it right or whether I get it wrong 
um, I can be honest enough with myself to, to know the reasons behind the decisions that I made. You spoke on Saturday about the history of the club and the importance of doing well in the cup competitions and if you sit in the boardroom you're reminded of all the, all the cup wins. Just, I mean, you obviously won the League Cup with St Mirren, so you know what to, to, how it, what to do as a player. Just also as a manager, though, we had a couple of semi-final defeats. I mean, how much did you learn from those experiences? Yeah, I mean, look, it was, it was great last season to get to the two semi-finals. It was something that, you know, obviously St Mirren, um, I don't think I've ever done before. Um, but, you know, we here at Aberdeen want to be getting that far consistently at a minimum. You know, now obviously we don't want to go out in the semi-final, we want to go all the way and get to the final and give ourselves a chance of winning a trophy. But for me, for a club of this size, with the resources that's available to it, you know, getting to cup semi-finals year on year should be a, a, a main kind of a given, if you like. You know, and um, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You know, there, in cup competitions, there's one-off games, big decisions at key moments can cost you. Um, but I think that needs to be the message to the players and the message to the supporters as well. You know, at every club I've been at up to now, in terms of you know the two and a half years at Alloa, the two and a half years at St Mirren, I've always exceeded expectations. I don't think getting to a semi-final with Aberdeen is exceeding expectations. I think that's what's required as a minimum. I think we need to be aspiring to be trying to win a trophy every three, four years if possible. It's not going to be easy again because Celtic Rangers, Hearts, Hibs, Dundee United, all these other big clubs out there will have the same aspirations. But you know, I'm not trying to sit here and promise the supporters that's what we're going to do um, because nobody can do that. But I can assure them that's where our, our mind is at. You know, we're not satisfied going out in the group stages of the League Cup. We're not satisfied in just getting to a quarter-final of the Scottish Cup. We're not satisfied with just making top six. All of those things were okay from a previous club but now it's a step up again the expectations are higher and we need to recruit players that are able to handle that level of expectation I always find that's the biggest thing about the big clubs is that the players that are playing are the right type of characters because to play here you know next Saturday with a full house you know when things aren't going well you know about it but when things are going well the players feed off it and we need to have those types of characters that are able to handle those level of expectations. It's quite interesting you talk about the, you know, the, the character, Jim. I mean, you were a winner as a player, and you've, you know, you've talked about taking that into your managerial career as well. I'm always interested, though, I mean, are players born winners, you think? Or, I mean, as a coach, is it something you can work on? I mean, can you work on the players' mindsets to make them stronger? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously, psychologically, there's a lot that you can try and give a player and, you know, man management is a big, big part of that. Trying to give them confidence is a big part of that. But, you know, in terms of desire and commitment and having a passion for the game, I think that's in you, you know, and that's why when I'm doing my recruitment process, it's not just a case of, you know, seeing a player on a Saturday thinking, oh, they're a good player, let's bring them in. You know, I really do go into great depth in terms of background checks and references and, you know, going back years to talk to people that have worked with these players in the past because, you know, to play for a club like this, you need to be a certain type of character. I mean, we talk about Ross McCrory. You know, Ross McCrory is that type of character, that leader. Um, you know, when the chips are down, he's going to roll his sleeves up and he's going to keep going and stick in and and never give up, and that's always the message that I give to the players, whether we're doing a five-a-side game at the training ground or whether we're here. You know, regardless of the result, we never, ever, ever throw in the till. We keep going right till the last minute, showing the supporters 
that we have got the same kind of passion and level of commitment that they have got. Um, you know, I made a career out of being fit. It was as simple as that. And that's what I say to all the young players coming through. To be fit is the easiest thing in the world. You know, live well, eat well, sleep well. That's easy. Having the actual technical ability and the creativity and the skill to go with that is really, really hard to get. And it frustrates me, the amount of good players I see not making it because they don't have the level of professionalism required. So going forward, going into the next window, um, I will not be signing anybody who is first and foremost not athletic, not professional. And then we can talk about the football side of things thereafter. Does that recruitment work start now, Jim? Or do you need to maybe assess the squad in more detail? No, no, I've assessed the squad. Um, I know where we're at. You know, uh, as I said to you, there's no window coming up that we can move players on and bring half a dozen players in. It is what it is. I think we've got a good enough team right now available to us to get the necessary points on the board to make sure that we get in top six come the split. Thereafter, we can start thinking about trying to catch fifth and trying to catch fourth. But um, I've already had conversations in length with Stephen Gunn um, you know, at Cormac Park. We were there till very late on last night. And um, yeah, I've given him the type of profile of player that I'm looking for. And we'll sit down and go through the database. The head of recruitment is uh, coming in for a meeting on Thursday afternoon. I want to sit down and look at the types of player that he's been identifying and make sure that those types of players suit the way that I want the team to play um, going forward. But yeah, first and foremost, they'll be athletic, they'll be able to run, they'll be professional, they'll be good characters, strong characters. And if we can add the bit of ability into that, then we give ourselves a great chance of being successful next season. Jim, tell us a wee bit about your assistant, Lee Sharp, that's come with us, with you as well. Yeah, I mean, Lee obviously uh, you know, played at a decent level throughout his playing career. Um, I didn't have a, a, a real personal relationship with Lee prior to going to Alloa. My brother-in-law was uh, a teammate of his at Clyde when they played together, always spoke highly of him. Um, and when I took the job at Alloa, um, you know, it was very um, a kind of an overnight kind of thing, if you like, where Jack Ross went to St Mirren. Mike Mulraney offered me the position and there was good staff in place, you know, and Lee Sharp was there, Paddy Connolly was there as my assistant manager. Um, I didn't need to bring in my own people because I felt the people that were there were good enough to help us be successful and that was the case so we worked really well together for two and a half years he's just as ambitious as I am he's not afraid to voice an opinion um, you know and, and I trust him and I think that's a, a key word for me and even when I'm you know not just with my own backroom team and my staff but also with the players you know I need people that are loyal I need people that I can trust and you know that I can rely on basically and um, you know Lee is all of that We'll look forward to speaking to him. Does he do interviews, does he? Yeah, he's very well spoken. Yeah, I mean, um, he doesn't uh, do them very often. Um, but I would love for Lee to, to do more interviews because I, um, I, do, I do get fed up with the same questions from the, the media from time to time. But on a match day, you know, it'll be me that'll be out in front of the camera. You know, win, lose or draw, I think the manager should be the one that are asking those uh, difficult questions at times. Um, but Lee is certainly open to uh, helping you guys on Red TV and giving the, 
the fans an insight into his type of personality as well. We'll look forward to speaking to him. Jim, just finally, the supporters, I mean, they've been very impressed with your interview so far. I mean, are you aware of the support you've had from them? And, and just, I mean, what, what would your message to the, as the fans be? Well, I don't, uh, I don't have any social media accounts. It's not something that I've, um, that I've ever caught on to, to be honest with you. I'm quite a, a private guy. I'm um, very much a, a family man. When I go home from football, it's about my wife and my three children and, that's pretty much it. Uh, I do have some friends, I must admit, um, that I like to socialise with from time to time, but um, the social media thing just doesn't do it for me. But I have, you know, my wife certainly makes up for me not being on it, and um, she's very quick to to tell me about the great response that we've had from Aberdeen. Obviously, the media team here have been keeping me posted on terms of the reaction, and it's it's been great, you know, just walking out onto the pitch at uh, Motherwell on Saturday and, um, you know, having that level of travel of support where, you know, it's not just down the road, it's two and a half, three hours on a bus for them to travel in the numbers that they're travelling. To give me that kind of ovation was really, really, um, you know, I was really grateful to them for doing that, but also it just gave me a sense of where I'm at here, you know, the type of club I'm at. Um, they used to give me an awfully hard time here when I... Uh, when I played against them, but I think they knew that, you know, all I wanted to do was win. And, um, you know, the, the support up to now has been outstanding. All I can guarantee them is the way that I played against them and went about my business on the park wholehearted, 100% committed, is the way that hopefully all of my Aberdeen players will play against the opposition in the weeks and months to go. And, um, and I think if the fans see that as a minimum, then they'll get right behind the team. I think most opposition fans, Jim, probably give you a wee bit of stick, did they? Well, I was always worried because there was only really one club, uh, maybe two clubs uh, in, in Scotland that I thought I had a chance of getting a, a position at because um, any time positions became available, I knew that you know I never really got a great reaction when I went there. But I do think that the reaction I got from opposition fans was was meant in the right way, if you like. You know, they hated me playing against that team because they knew that I wasn't going to be, um, you know, I wasn't going to give them an easy time. And that's what I want from our Aberdeen team going forward. Never, ever give the opposition an easy time. Discipline is a big thing for me, by the way. People think that, you know, I, uh, I feed my players red meat and wind them up to go and attack the opposition. That's not the case. I think if you actually look at my St Mirren team this year, um, we've, uh, the St Mirren team has got the best discipline record in the Premier League, uh, the least amount of yellow cards, the least amount of red cards. So there's controlled aggression, which is something that I wasn't very good at as a player at times. But I think we need to have aggression. We need to have a commitment. You know, it is a contact sport at the end of the day. And I don't ever want any team coming to Pataudry or we're going to their stadium coming off the park thinking that they had an easy game today. You know, anytime anybody comes here, they'll know they've been in a battle. That's for sure. Well, to fair, Jim, I think you're a better player than you give yourself credit for. I think we've certainly all wanted you in the team. It's great to have you here as manager. Enjoyed the chat and we just wish you all the very, very best. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Your introduction to your first home match couldn't be any more challenging as Jim Goodwin took the reins for his first home match at a Park Pataudry against Dundee United in front of the one and only Sir Alex Ferguson on Saturday. And it wasn't a perfect start, a depleted squad hit by injuries and a COVID outbreak meant we were missing the likes of Scott Brown, Johnny Hayes, Calvin Ramsey, Jack McKenzie and Ross McCrory. That was bound to have an effect, but if it wasn't for the foolish shirt-tagging from David Bates against Ian Harks in the box, we were 1-0 down in the fourth minute as a result after Mark McNulty scored from the spot. We levelled the score in the 16th minute when Pacente Beswin's shot was saved and then knocked into the net by Ryan Edwards after Matty Kennedy mishit the rebound. Christian Ramirez then should have put Aberdeen ahead. Beswin was involved again with the pass, but he could not direct his effort on target from inside the box. Ross Graham came close to scoring a second goal in two games with a dipping half volley that forced a fine save from Joe Lewis. Beswin was then guilty of a miss like Ramirez's when he met a low Kennedy cross from the left and blazed it over. There weren't many opportunities for either side after the break, the best of these coming from Lewis Ferguson and Vicente Beswin. A cheap penalty, it's another point in a tightly packed league. Despite the draw, we dropped to ninth place. Jim. 1-1, how do you reflect on the performance and the result? Uh, Performance-wise, taking the first maybe five or six minutes out of it, I thought the boys boys were good. Um, you know, the worst possible start you could wish for, uh, giving away you know a silly penalty, really. I haven't had an opportunity to watch it back, but it, it did look that, like there was a slight tug on the jersey. But albeit, with that said, you know, I think we'd be given four or five penalties a game because the amount of pulling on jerseys and set plays and everything else that goes on uh, we need to be careful about what we're giving penalty kicks for but I have to say I thought the reaction thereafter was positive um, you know they'd want, done well to get themselves back into the game and I thought once we got it back to 1-1 I thought we were the better team I thought we carried more of an attacking threat albeit you know United looked uh, dangerous on the counter attack from time to time but I thought the boys stood up to everything that was thrown at them um, with a little bit more Composure and a wee bit more quality in the in and around the penalty box, then we might have had another couple of goals as well. But um, there's plenty there for me to to work with. That's the pleasing thing for me today. I saw a team that were willing to run themselves into the ground, that were willing to go and get close to people and be aggressive. Uh, I thought the two centre backs who have come in for a little bit of criticism of late, I thought they were excellent today, taking away the penalty with David. I thought his reaction to that was really good, and they just they just were proper defenders today I don't want my centre-backs to be nice and tidy you know just first and foremost go and be aggressive go and win your headers go and compete and I thought they'd done that in the main but all in all um, another point on the board but you know let's not uh, get carried away because you know I know that we're not satisfied with that you know we don't think taking a point at home to Dundee United with the greatest of respect is a is a fantastic result but it's certainly uh, another good point on the board and considering we've only had a week with the players I think they've done great did you feel a winner was coming because the balance of play in the second half was certainly with your team? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought for you know the opening maybe 15, 20 minutes of the game, it was kind of ebbing and flowing and it could have went either way. I thought for we finished the first half the better um, and I thought for the majority of the second half we were, we were on top, really, um, controlling large periods of the game. But, you know, it was all about the, the, the commitment for me, just to see the lads really being aggressive with United, getting stuck in, getting close to people, not allowing them time on the ball. Um, and, you know, I can't remember Joe Lewis having a save to make, to be perfectly honest. You know, um, 
we've had a couple of shots in the second half, good blocks from United, you've got to say, you know, uh, one or two, maybe we could have released a little bit quicker and got a shot away a little bit sooner. But, you know, I think attempts on target might not be all that high for us, but certainly shots, um, you know, and chances were certainly better for us than they were for them. We update on Montgomery and McLennan, who both went off injured. Any indication what's happened there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Conor McLennan's been out for a wee while. He's um, he's been in and out of training, um, and obviously, you know, he's got fitness issues, so he cramped up. Hopefully, that's not going to be a serious one. Uh, Monty again, we don't know whether it's cramp or a slight strain. I'm hoping it's just cramp, and he'll you know take a couple of days to recover. Um, no, I thought both of them were, were very, very good, considering Connor's not a natural right back because of the situation we find ourselves in today with you know lack of personnel, then we had to kind of shuffle the pack a wee bit. But um look, we're very demanding of the players. Uh, you know, we're gonna train at an intensity that they're probably not all that familiar with and it's gonna take a lot out of their bodies, but we need to do it, you know, because we need to get them used to doing it Monday to Friday so that they can compete at a high energy, high intensity game on a Saturday. So we might get little situations like this where there's, you know, touches of cramp and maybe, you know, slight little muscle issues. But uh, if we're sensible about it and we um, we do things properly, then, you know, these things shouldn't be too severe. Thanks, Jim. All the best for thinking. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Vicente, you're the Red TV man of the match. Congratulations. How do you feel the game went today? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I think we had a we started the first five minutes not that good and then after we uh, yeah we made a comeback even in the way how we fight as a team we got a lot of chances uh, as well opportunities to score but then yeah sometimes you need to be lucky but I think we we were getting there and uh, even in the second half it was a bit harder but we get as well our chances and if we were a bit more secure yeah I think we will get the win but the way we fought as a team and uh, the fans behind that, that, that was amazing. You seem to have lots of joy in the first half, especially on the right-hand side, being able to get behind the defence and create chances. Yes, the trainer um, told me to go behind, and uh, yeah, I, I have pace, so for me that was not a problem, and, and I like to yeah, enjoy my, my game. Was it frustrating in the second half that chances came and went without the ball hitting the back of the net because the balance of play was, was with Aberdeen? Yeah, I know, and I think that's the game, that's football, sometimes uh, uh, the goals go, go and go, and sometimes it's hard to score, but I think if we, we will do this and we continue to do this, we will get there, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the team. But a good first week with the new manager, take the point and move on? <clears throat> yes, like this, like I said, uh, I think we, uh, this is the way how we uh, should play every, every game, uh, 100% inset, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next games. Thanks so for hungry. Best. Cheers. Cool. Catch live audio and video of our next match only on Red TV. Subscribe now for full match day coverage, replays, highlights, and all the goals, exclusive interviews, and behind the scenes content. Sign up now at redtv.afc.co.uk. The best of the action only on Red TV. Aberdeen women were in action against Motherwell on Sunday at the Balmoral Stadium and despite an opening goal to Motherwell in the second minute, Chloe Gover recovered the ground in the 18th and Lauren Campbell put the Dons ahead just before the end of the first half. Francesca Ogilvie made it 3-1 in the 61st minute and Bailey Hutchison scored a double to make it 5-1 in an emphatic win for the women's team to move us up to 5th in SWPL1. 
Aberdeen women are back in action tomorrow night away to Spartans for the 7.30pm kickoff at Peters Hill Park. Tuning in to the AFC Donscast each week. Couldn't be easier. We're on all the popular platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn and Stitcher. And on the web at our website, afcdonscast.co.uk. Catch us on the big screen via Apple TV and on the road via Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Got a smart speaker? Just say, play AFC Donscast. One podcast. Listen everywhere. Every Tuesday evening from 8. Livingston thumped bottom club Dundee 4-0 to move into the top six in the Scottish Premiership on Saturday. Third place Hearts were 2-0 winners at St Mirren and Ross County defeated St Johnson 3-1 in Dingwall to move seven points clear of the relegation zone. Bottom club Queen of the South were the only winners in the Championship, beating Air United 1-0 at Somerset Park. Our both remain top on goal difference after a 0-0 draw at Morton and second place Kilmarnock drew 0-0 with Dunfermline Athletic at East End Park. It was also 0-0 between 4th place Wraith Rovers and a Partick Thistleside a point below them. Cove Rangers fought back to a 2-all draw with Allo Athletic at the Indo Drill Stadium to stay 5 points clear in League 1 with closest challengers Airdrionians held 1-all by Clyde. 3rd place Montrose won 1-0 against Queen's Park at Firhill and Falkirk were 3-1 winners over bottom club East Fife. Pewterhead beat 9-man Dumbarton 4-3 at Balmore to move out of the relegation zone. Kelty Hearts are now 12 points clear in League 2 after a 3-1 home win over Annan Athletic. And second place Forfar Athletic went down 2-0 at Stenhouse Moon and Elgin City saw off Stirling Albion 3-1 at Barra Briggs. Stranraer and Albion Rovers drew 0-0 at Stair Park. And on Sunday in the Premiership, leader Celtic faced Hibs at Easter Road where it ended 0-0. And it was a draw at Ibrox between Rangers and Meadowell who battled out a 2-0 draw. Okay, let's catch up with a bit of news then. And the Scottish FA remain in talks with UEFA over March's World Cup playoff semi-final with Ukraine. It'd been hoped some clarity would be forthcoming after a UEFA meeting on Friday, which was sparked by Russia's invasion of the country. However, it remains unclear if the fixture will go ahead as planned. Steve Clark's men's team are scheduled to host Ukraine on the 24th of March and Scotland's women are due to play a World Cup qualifier in Kiev on the 8th of April. The Scottish FA are also discussing the men's under-21 sides match in Kazakhstan on the 29th of March, given that travel there requires a flight through either Russian or Ukrainian airspace. Clark is due to name his squad on the 15th of March, with the winner of the semi-final progressing to the playoff final on the 29th of March against either Wales or Austria. Poland will boycott their World Cup playoff against Russia because of the invasion of Ukraine. Polish Football Association has said the team does not intend to play the game. Russia are due to host Poland in Moscow on the 24th of March. FIFA said it would monitor the situation after Poland, Sweden and the Czech Republic said in a joint statement that playoff matches should not be played in Russia. Sweden and the Czech Republic have joined Poland in saying that they will not play against Russia regardless of where the match is played because of the illegal and deeply unjust invasion of Ukraine. The country's football associations also urged FIFA to cancel the playoff matches involving Russia. Just as we were pushing the baton in last week's Dons cast, Ross McCrory has signed a new Dons contract that will see him stay with the club until the summer of 2026. McCrory has made 67 appearances for the Dons so far. Four years. Four years, aye, so. <laughs> you must like it here then, do you? Aye, it's, uh, it's been eventful to, to a year and a half I've been here for, for now, but nah, I've fairly enjoyed it. Um, I've loved every minute up here. 
I've got on well with, with the staff, all the, the backroom teams and that as well and yeah, it's enjoyable. So you feel you're settled in now and it's a case now of taking the club forward? And oh. Aye, that's, a, that's the aim. Um, look, I, I came up here a year and a half ago and we had an aim to, to try and play as many games as I could and I think I've played more or less every game I've been available for, um, which, which was my aim. And uh, I feel as well I've developed personally and on the pitch and off the pitch, I went to a new level. Um, and it's, that's thanks to the club for, for helping me and get me to that level now and it's just all about pushing the club forward now. And finally, there's been a changing of the guard in terms of our loanies at Elgin City. Kevin Hanrati has returned to Pataudry and Tyler Makita has replaced him at Barabricks. I had no side effects beyond a sore arm for a day or so. Compared to getting COVID, it was nothing. Vaccine centres are open across the country. Take it from Rich. Book your COVID-19 vaccine now. A bit trigger happy with the bet in there. OK, we have a midweek match against Hearts at Tynecastle tomorrow night. Kickoff is at 7.45pm. If you're not heading to Edinburgh, you'll be able to watch it live on pay-per-view via Hearts TV or on Red TV International if you have that. Coverage starts at 7.30pm. The other matches on Wednesday night are Celtic versus St Marin, Dundee at home to Hibs, Livingston versus Dundee United, Ross County are away to Manuel, and it's St Johnston versus Rangers. Then, on Saturday, we're also away to Rangers for the 3pm kickoff at Ibrox. Again, it's available to watch on pay-per-view via Rangers TV or on Red TV International. Coverage starts at 2.45pm. The other fixtures on Saturday are Dundee United versus Hearts, Hibs versus St Johnston, Motherwell versus Dundee, Ross County are at home to St Marin, and on Sunday, a midday kickoff between Livingston and Celtic. Look, it's difficult to take in what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. This time last week, we would have thought we'd be back at war on our doorstep and talking about nuclear weapons. We know we're only a podcast, but we also know many of our listeners will want to express our solidarity with the people of Ukraine during the current troubles. For what it's worth, we're behind you. Godspeed and stand free.
time and time again Let's go, it's times like these do we activate Do something to improve, don't procrastinate I've been cooking out, make a wicked pasta plate Stream games at 11 but I clap at 8 And I'll jingle FaceTime if you tempt me Time to pay back all the health docs let me And for me, West 10's elementary But right now I want to see Lapra go empty and get me We'll make it better together, we'll make a better life Because the pressure is ever upon us every night And every day so we pray and we will forever fight We'll make it better together, we'll make a better life I'm a one-way motorway I'm the one that drives away and follows you back home Yeah.